A very good Monday. Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature agricultural news reports, I'll bring you national and regional agricultural news headlines. And I'll start with regional ag news right after this. Bee Hero is the leading almond pollination provider. We deliver measurable and verifiable pollination outcomes for almond growers and turn a previously unquantified fingers crossed gamble into a controllable expenditure. For the first time, growers can know exactly what they are getting for their money during pollination. Bee Hero accurately evaluates your bee's pollination contribution in real time and gives you unprecedented visibility into the progress of bloom. Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure, be precise, be hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP of Sales at 559-467-9699. Be hero, superior bees, superior pollination. Six western states that rely on water from the Colorado River have agreed on a model to dramatically cut their use months after the federal government called for action and an initial deadline passed. California, with the largest allocation of water from the river, is the lone holdout. The Colorado River and its tributaries pass through seven states and in Mexico serving 40 million people and a $5 billion year agricultural industry. Some of the largest cities in a country, including Los Angeles, Phoenix, Denver, and Las Vegas, two Mexican states... Native American tribes and others depend on a river that's been severely stressed by drought, demand, and overuse. States missed a mid-August deadline to heed the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation's call to propose ways to conserve 2 million to 4 million acre-feet of water. They regrouped to reach a consensus by the end of January to fold into a larger proposal reclamation. They regrouped to reach consensus by the end of January to fold into a larger proposal reclamation. Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, California, Utah, and Wyoming have sent a letter to reclamation which operates in major dams in a river system to outline an alternative that builds on existing guidelines, deepens water cuts, and factors in water that's lost through evaporation and transpiration. California did not sign onto the agreement, but released a proposal in October to cut 400,000 acre feet. An acre foot is enough water to supply two to three U.S. households for a year. Tina Shields, water manager for California's Imperial Irrigation District, the single largest user of the Colorado River water, declined to comment on the basin-wide discussions. She said any multi-state agreement must be legally defensible. Nothing will happen immediately with the consensus reached among the six states recently. However, not reaching a consensus carried the risk of having the federal government alone determine how to eventually impose cuts. By not signing on, California does not avoid that risk. Colorado Governor Jared Polis said he is encouraged by the six-state agreement, but said there's more work to be done. Although they did not cause this crisis, he is proud that Colorado is part of the solution. The debates over how to cut water use by roughly one-third have been contentious. The upper basin states of Wyoming, New Mexico, Colorado, and Utah have said the lower basin states, Arizona, California, and Nevada, must do the heavy lifting. That conservation in the lower basin has centered on what's legal and what's fair. Reclamation will consider the six states' agreement as part of a larger proposal to revise how it operates. Glen Canyon and Hoover Dam's power producer on the Colorado River, the reservoirs behind the dams, Lake Powell and Lake Mead, have reached historic lows amid a more than two-decade-long drought and climate change. Reclamation plans to put out a draft of that proposal by early March, with the goal of finalizing it by mid-August, when the agency typically announces the amount of water available for the following year. Reclamation has said it will still do what is needed to ensure the dams can continue producing hydropower and deliver water. Without California's participation, the six states' proposal 
can only go so far to meet the hydrological realities of the river. Water managers in the lower basin say the scale of conservation reclamation is seeking cannot be met without California tribes and farmers who draw directly from the Colorado River. Also unclears how much Mexico eventually will contribute to the savings. In the best water years, Mexico receives its full allocation of one and a half million acre feet under a treaty reached with the U.S. in 1944. The California Avocado Commission has announced its marketing plans for 2023 along with the early season California crop forecast for its fiscal year 2022 to 2023. The harvest estimate is at 257 million pounds of avocados, which is a slight decrease compared to the 2021-2022 season crop volume of 276 million pounds. The recent California rainfall has been welcomed by growers throughout all districts, according to Jeff Oberman, president of CAC. He says growers have related increased sizing and crucial replenishing of water sources during recent visits to all production regions. They do not yet know if there will be any change to the expected harvest timing. However, excitement is building from their retail partners for the kickoff of the California season. The majority at 243 million pounds of the California avocado harvest is expected to be the Haas variety. The remaining forecast is lamb Haas at 7 million pounds, GEM 6 million, and about 1 million from other varieties that are also being commercially grown in California. Weather and market conditions will be key factors for when California avocado growers begin harvesting, and some growers may delay picking to allow their avocados time to increase in size. California avocado volume is expected to begin ramping up around March, with peak availability from April through July, then tapering off through Labor Day. Yolo Land Trust and Solano Land Trust received nearly $4 million in grant funds from the Sustainable Agricultural Lands Conservation Program, a division of the California Strategic Growth Council's Affordable Housing and Sustainable Communities Program. The grants will fund the City of Davis's purchase of two agricultural conservation easements. Shanna Atherton-Bauer, a senior environmental planner with the California Department of Conservation and Program Manager for Land Conservation Programs, explained the purposes of the easements by saying the theory is that you can't just construct housing, you also need to protect the agricultural land surrounding communities. Atherton-Bauer says regional parks and open space districts work with landowners who are interested in conserving their lands. The first grant awards $915,000 to help the city purchase an agricultural conservation easement of 120 acres. The second grant is for $2.9 million, and that will help the city purchase an easement on 217 acres on the Davis southern border with Solano County. The Bureau of Land Management has acquired over 800 acres of land in five areas of Northern California and Northwest Nevada to improve opportunities for wildlife habitat, conservation, and public access for recreation. These acquisitions from willing sellers were funded by the Land and Water Conservation Fund and state grants with the goal of conserving America's lands for the benefit of all people. These newly acquired lands in Northern California will provide important public benefits now and into the future, according to BLM State Director Karen Mortensen. Soil and Crop Incorporated is your number one resource for sustainable nutrition. Growers are faced with difficult challenges and Soil and Crop Inc. has the experience, fertilizer, and biological portfolio to dramatically increase yield and performance in your troubled orchards and fields. Contact Soil and Crop Incorporated today for a free consultation on how we can help reverse the challenges you face as a conventional or organic grower so you can increase your bottom line and become a better sustainable farmer. Contact us today at 559-564-1236 or visit our website at www.callnrg.com. Soil and Crop, putting nature to work for you. 
On yesterday's show, we heard how the Department of Water Resources, or DWR, is partnering with the State Water Resources Control Board to fast-track efforts to capture floodwaters to recharge groundwater basins and divert it to growers or other areas that need it most. Today, we'll hear more about the pilot project in Merced County doing just that. In early January, the State Water Board approved a six-month permit that will enable multiple landowners to divert excess flows from Mariposa Creek near the city of Merced to recharge a key groundwater basin. The Merced Project Permit, the first approved under the new Pilot Regulatory Assistance Program, is expected to pave the way for future projects to allow water from wet weather storms to be captured and diverted. The permit will cover multiple diversions by multiple landowners in a coordinated fashion managed by a groundwater sustainability agency. Jenny Marr with DWR is a program manager for the pilot project. We've been working together when the um, governor's water supply strategy was released in August. Um, and really the focus is on providing technical and regulatory assistance to agencies that are looking to use high flows for groundwater recharge. Um, you know, DWR is really well positioned to assist local agencies in estimating the amount of high flows available um, for recharge and working with local flood control agencies to identify flow conditions on rivers and creeks that might indicate a threat of flood um, of flood conditions that might allow for more recharge. Uh, the Water Board has provided a streamlined pathway um, for temporary water rights and standard water rights and, and additional guidance on a simplified water availability analysis for local agencies um, seeking water rights to use for projects specifically that use high flows for groundwater recharge. Um, and, and really, you know, you seek that water right so you can recharge that water and put it to beneficial use later. And a beneficial use would be irrigation, domestic um, ecosystem enhancement, and other types of beneficial uses. So CDFW has been providing guidance on how recharge projects can be formulated to avoid or minimize potential negative impacts on habitat or special status species and, and help applicants ensure compliance with environmental laws. Um, this state agency collaboration um, results in, in faster compilation and review of applications, prioritization of projects that use high flows for recharge and, and permits that get issued faster. You know, um, beginning in the fall, um, DWR, State Water Board, and CDFW, we initiated this project, um, pilot project, in partnership with Merced Irrigation District and several lo other local water districts to evaluate how state agencies can better assist local agencies in obtaining temporary water rights for using high flows. Um, and really, this collaboration that began in about September, October of, of last year resulted in a 180-day temporary permit, um, temporary water right permit being issued for the pilot project on um, Mariposa Creek. And that permit was issued on, on January 6th. Something important to consider is how to still stay in compliance with state water regulations through pilot projects like this, which will require good communication between growers and local groundwater agencies. To take advantage of flood flows, growers need to work with their local agencies to know when water should be taken off the system to reduce a flood risk. Um, these diversions that are taken off um, during a flood emergency or impending flood emergency uh, are, are real-time flood risk reduction actions. So 
they do have some regulatory relief. Um, this relief is so actions can be taken as quickly as possible to protect public health and safety. So in the context of an emergency setting, um, growers can be compliant to take water off the system, um, you know, just by responding to requests for uh, from a flood control agency. A water right is not needed to divert water for um, flood risk reduction, and any incidental recharge can be used later by an overlying, uh, overlying groundwater user. Um, this incidental recharge, it ends up in the aqu aquifer and that water available is you know, to anyone that's overlying the basin within the terms of their local groundwater sustainability plan. Um, this incidental recharge of flood water is something like a community pot and it benefits the basin as a whole. Um, a water right is needed when a water district or individual wants to claim that recharged flood water so they as an individual or district can extract it later for a beneficial use. So you're doing a lot of the same recharge actions, but it's whether you know the water goes into a community pot or it's kind of dedicated or claimed by an individual or district. And that's what the water right really allows for is an individual or a district to extract the, the water later for their own beneficial use. So that water right in essence protects the water for the water right holders use. Um, if growers wanna pursue a water right for diverting surface water for groundwater recharge, the project needs to comply with all standard applicable local state and federal laws and regulations. Um, it's definitely worth noting that under um, the current executive order for for drought, there is a CEQA exemption for um, for uh, projects that use high um, flows for groundwater recharge. So that is in place for projects that want to um, um, use high flows for recharge, but growers will still need to comply with other laws and regulations, um, such as those that protect listed species and habitat like the California Endangered Species Act and the Lake and Stream Bed Alteration Program and other laws that protect water quality. Um, regulatory compliance at a grower scale, um, is a, it's, it's a big lift. So um, we recommend that, that growers, landowners, you know, they're working directly with their local district or their GSA. And it's the local district or GSA that, you know, comes to DWR and our state agency partners to take advantage of the regulatory assistance program. Replenishment of depleted groundwater basins is an essential part of California's long-term water resilience and drought mitigation efforts. Significant expansion of groundwater recharge projects such as the Merced project will be required to support environment, agricultural uses, and ability to withstand future droughts. You're listening to My Ag Life. I'm Taylor Charlstrom. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on the, every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. 
Let JCS Marketing help you connect. The deadline to respond to the 2022 Census of Agriculture is next week. USA's National Agricultural Statistics Service says farmers and ranchers must respond by February 6th online or through the mail. NASA Administrator Hubert Hamer says by participating in a 2022 Census of Agriculture, producers show the value and importance of American agriculture. Last month, NASA mailed the Census of Agriculture questionnaires to every known ag producer in the U.S. and Puerto Rico. The census is conducted just once every five years and provides a complete account of the nation's farms and ranches and people who operate them. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack has announced a $2.7 billion investment to help 64 electric cooperatives and utilities. The funding from the Department of Agriculture will help the cooperative expand and modernize the nation's rural electric grid and increase grid security. Vilsack says this funding will help rural cooperatives and utilities invest in changes that make our energy more efficient, more reliable, and more affordable. The loans include $613 million to help rural utilities and cooperatives install and upgrade smart grid technology. Smart Grid can be a catalyst for broadband and other telecommunication services in unserved and underserved rural areas, in addition to improving grid security and reliability. Nearly half of the awards will help finance infrastructure improvements in underserved communities. Any electric loan program can help to finance wind, solar, and natural gas plants, as well as improvements to coal-fired plants. The Senate Ag Committee will hold its first Farm Bill hearing of the new Congress focusing on trade and global food aid as it aims to produce a 2023 bill. The Ag Panel will hear from USDA Trade Undersecretary Alexis Taylor, Undersecretary for Marketing Jenny Lester Moffitt, and Sarah Charles, you said, Assistant to the Ambassador. Taylor stressed top trade issues during her Senate confirmation hearing, but only within existing, not new trade deals. From the question of new trade deals, what I'm very interested in is a couple of fundamentals. What is meaningful market access for a cross-section and diversity of U.S. agricultural products? How do we address non-tariff barriers and ensure that science-based regulatory processes and decision-making is being um, implemented? An effort Taylor's now making with Mexican officials over their president's 2024 plan to ban GMO corn imports from the United States. And as with USMCA, the focus in the Biden-IPEF agreement will be enforcing science-based trade versus tariff liberalization under new farm trade agreements. The Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, I think that's a very exciting region of the world. Certainly for U.S. agriculture, there is a lot of opportunity. I am interested in understanding the agriculture community's priorities and engaging within the administration on what does meaningful market access look like for our producers. But short of politically sensitive trade deals the White House seeks to avoid, that may not be enough for Ag Committee members of both parties, especially as competitors continue to make their own trade deals, leaving the U.S. on the sidelines. American Dairy Coalition, a grassroots dairy farmer-led organization with diverse geographic representation, recently announced federal policy priorities and an action plan for 2023. American Dairy Coalition CEO Lori Fisher says their ongoing efforts have been focused on raising awareness of short- and long-term challenges. One key short-term priority is to see the Class 1 milk price mover return to its previous hire of formula in a 2023 farm bill. For the long-term, the coalition seeks a national farm bill hearing on a sustained 
sustainability of federal milk marketing orders. Fisher says the systemic issues of declining fluid milk sales and declining marketing order participation create instability and uncertainty for dairy farmers. ADC also supports restoring whole milk and federal nutrition programs like the National School Lunch Program and Breakfast Programs and WIC. This includes exempting nutrient-dense foods like whole milk from the fat limits that the dietary guidelines impose on nutrition programs and dairy checkoff promotions. What are some of the things that various farm groups and ag groups wish to see in a new farm bill? Per priority list developed over the last several months, here is a recap with USA Ag News reporter Rod Bain. Several farm organizations and commodity groups are among the farm bill stakeholders spending the past several months crafting their priorities regarding a 2023 farm bill. Whether from the livestock side, the climate smart incentive or practices that might be available to livestock fit into those. Milk pricing reform. The new risk administration program is huge. We need to keep that in place and enhance that program. Crop commodity organizations. Maintain a relative safety net. Make sure we keep our crop insurance in place. An increase in the MAP and FMD funding. Specialty crops. The research title is vital to us. That's where we get our resources for genetics, additional breeding practices. Or general agricultural groups. We're going to make sure that we protect the commodity titles. We've always been big supporters of conservation. Competition title specific in the farm bill. That'll give farmers and ranchers more protection. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. On March 21st of 2021, the Canadian Pacific Railway Limited and the Kansas City Southernway Company announced that both Class 1 carriers had entered into an agreement to merge. In December of 2022, the stockholders of CP and KCS voted to accept the merger of the two railroads, and shares were placed into a voting trust as the deal awaited approval from the U.S. Surface Transportation Board. Since that time, the STB has been accepting comments from anyone in support and or opposed to the proposed merger. Given the many comments from shippers, railroads, and even members of Congress, the STB held a public hearing on the CPKCS merger in September, which was then extended to October. For seven days, the STB heard testimony from shippers, communities, public officials, and other railroads who all testified why they supported or did not support the merger. In addition to all the above, an environmental impact study of the merger was done by the STB Office of Environmental Analysis. On January 24th of 2023, the STB issued a final environmental impact statement for the proposed acquisition of KCS by the CP. A draft of the EIS on this proceeding was issued on August 5th of 2022 for public review and comment. The public comment period ended October 4th, according to the STB. The final EIS responds to comments received on a draft EIS and provides additional information on the resource areas of grade crossing delay and safety and noise vibration and sets forth OEA's final recommendations, including final recommended mitigation measures to the STB noted in a press release. The STB said that issuance of the final EIS completes their environmental review of their proposed acquisition of KCS by CP. The STB said it will consider the transportation merits of the proposed acquisition and the entire environmental record, including the draft EIS, the final EIS, and all comments received as part of the final decision on this proceeding. On January 25th, the U.S. Department of Justice's Antitrust Division, which did not testify in the merger hearing last fall, sent a letter to the STB stating the consolidation of Class 1 railroads presents substantial concerns, including lessened competition among Class 1 railroads to attract new industry locations, 
reduced incentives to invest in research and implementation of important new technologies, such as positive train control and a danger of industry-wide understandings and agreements that become more likely as the industry becomes more concentrated. The Antitrust Division emphasizes that the board should not interpret the Antitrust Division's absence from the board's September 2022 proceedings to imply otherwise. It is now up to the STB to make the final decision on whether the merger is approved. The STB must now wait 30 days from the release of the EIS to issue its final decision on the merits of the CPKCS merger. Sponsored by the California Walnut Boarding Commission, supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together.